0: Ten values listed on this outline. Why these ten? Partly because of feedback that we've already received, so we've uh, been in discussion about this. We're not making this up, and this wasn't invented during the week. Uh, These are particular, uh, in this list, are particular biblical values that every church on that mission should have. And there are some values in particular for us as SLE church, that we have and that we need to be thinking through. Now, they're in no particular order. I've put the first three, however, there because when we I tested these uh, these values generally amongst some in our church, these came out consistently at the top. The rest are in no particular order. So as we consider these 10 values, uh, a quick word of encouragement. I hope that, I, my hope is that as we go through this, right, a lot of us will be in our heads ticking, yes, 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 yes. Uh, That would be fantastic if we all completely agree, and praise God if that happens. But let us not forget that these values are not always values that are shared by other churches. Even the values that you might think would be basic, especially the first one on preaching, Right, I, was, I was recently chatting with an ex-Essalier, now home in Malaysia, about this, and he was sharing me with the struggles he had sitting in the pews with his parents uh, in their church in Malaysia, wrestling with what the preachers have been saying. And this is what he shared with me, and I have permission to share this. He said, I'm struggling through listening to the sermons on Ephesians. In my mind, I think if I did a critique of the sermons, they would be longer than the sermons themselves. I wondered before how anyone could screw up preaching Ephesians 1 and 2 I now have my answer. In a way, it's been good because I think I'm more of a Berean now than at SLE because often Ben Ho and yourself and Gabriel exposit so well, so I sometimes become lazy and just look at the passage and you refer to it and say, Yep, that makes sense. But now I have to keep rereading to see whether it does. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do not say that out of pride. I am encouraged, yes. But it is sad at the same time, because this is not an uncommon story for those who go back to Malaysia and Singapore. So as we go through these 10 values, let's be encouraged by what we have at the same time. Speaking of preaching, point one, what we have come to value and treasure in some ways the most in our church, and consistently is one of the top values, is gospel-centered, expository teaching and preaching. Now, Ben has very helpfully given us an article on what is expository preaching in the pastor's desk. Uh, So read that. I'm not going to repeat all of it. Read that after the service is over. But I will repeat this. Expository preaching and teaching happens when the main message of the passage is the main message of the sermon. The vibe of the passage is the vibe of the sermon. The sermon will not lift off a passage to go and talk about other things. But the concern of the passage, its intention, its tone, why it has been written, will be explored, explained, and applied. And this happens not just in preaching, what happens here in the pulpit each week, but in our Bible studies week to week as well. And this is why we here at SLE Church value resources like From Matthias Media, Look, they're not perfect in every way, but generally we have found that they capture very well in most of their studies the tone and concern of the passages there. We've found them to be generally very helpful Bible study resources to teach the main point of passages and books of the Bible. So that's expository teaching. Let me briefly explain by what I mean by gospel-centred expository teaching. By gospel-centred, I mean... That every part of scripture points us forward to or shows us the implications of the gospel. So wherever we are in the Bible, we believe and value being told and moved by God's truth as it reveals more of the gospel to our heads and to our hearts. Jesus viewed the Bible in this way himself. In Luke chapter 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus Right? as they were trying to grapple their heads around all that Jesus had done, he opened up the Scriptures and he says, it says, Luke tells us, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is another way of saying the whole Old Testament, Jesus showed them all the things concerning himself. Jesus took Scripture and walked the disciples through that. I wish Luke had recorded that whole conversation. It would have saved us so much trouble. But the principle is there. Every part of the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. Every passage, every book of the Bible is ultimately about what God will do to fulfill his mission in Jesus. And when the disciples heard this and understood it, we read that their hearts were burning with joy. Do you realize how immense it is that God speaks? If there was a God and he did not speak, it would do no good For any of us. But God does speak. He speaks through His Word. And you know what? He has a particular intention with every part of His Word. This is why gospel centered expository preaching must be a core value of our church because God speaks with intention. And our task is not to come up with our interpretation of it, but to find and discover His intended meaning. Expository preaching and teaching is the way to get closest to the heart of God's intended message for us. Now, if gospel-centered, expository teaching should be valued as a priority, then prayer has to come as a very close priority right after it. Prayer has to be a core value because it's at the heart of what it means to be in relationship with God. If we're not praying, we're living in our own strength apart from God. So much could be said about prayer, and the Bible says heaps about it, but let me hone in on one particular aspect of prayer in relation to our First Valley preaching. Gospel-centered, expository teaching should, would be lacking without prayerful dependence on him. That's a connection that Paul makes in Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that we may That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. See, there Paul exhorts the Christians at Colossae, and us reading it today, to continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep persevering, remain steadfast when the going gets tough. When life gets hard, keep praying. He tells them in verse 2, be watchful in it. Right? Look out for what's specifically to pray and be watchful for God's answers. And then to do that with thanksgiving. Because in our prayers, there is always something to thank God for. Even in the deepest, darkest pits of despair, there is always something to thank God for. And then in verses 3 to 4, he gives two more extensions on how we are to pray. First in verse 3, for the gospel preacher to have more opportunities to present the gospel of Jesus. That's the whole thing about the open door, opportunities to take. And the second in verse 4, pray that the gospel preacher would be clear in their message and speaking. So if we highly value and prize gospel-centered teaching, then we must also highly value Prayer as the fuel for more opportunities to speak and for clear communication of this teaching. And as we pray, we'll be watchful for opportunities and we will pray persistently. Now, prayer also has many other facets, right? Uh, But in essence, it's our direct line and connection with God. It's an extraordinary privilege and gift of being in a reconciled relationship to God through Jesus Christ. You don't need to be an expert at it. The best prayer I heard recently was from someone who had just become a Christian, fumbled his way through, but said some wonderful things. You know why he said some wonderful things? Because he was speaking to his heavenly Father, who he had been reconciled to through Jesus Christ. You don't need to be an expert in prayer, but if we value it, we'll be praying more often together. And we'll be praying especially for more opportunities to speak the gospel as a part of our mission in sharing it. Right. Point three. Our mission is about making disciples. A Christian disciple someone is someone who is following Jesus, someone who is growing in their spiritual walk and maturing in their faith. Now, discipleship makes up a core value because it's an essential part of God's mission. It couldn't be clearer that this is what God is on about. As we, read, uh, as we read out before to us uh, from Hebrews, thank you, Alice, again for doing that, a disciple is someone who is going from infancy to adulthood, from milk to solid food. Now, that is not to say that a disciple is someone who moves on from learning the gospel into more deeper, more mysterious spiritual truths. Right? When the writer of the Hebrews says, let us leave behind the elementary principles of the gospel, he is saying uh, the gospel is always at the centre But right now, you're on milk, you're on the simple truths taught simply, but you've got to move to the solid food of richer, and sorry to my vegan friends, more meatier spiritual truths, spiritual gospel, substantial gospel truths. Right? Uh, One of the things that we highly value as a church is gospel growth within ourselves, which is another word for discipleship. Now, we all grow and mature at different rates. But the key thing is that we grow over time. Right? There will be joyful bursts of growth. Right? You think of the retreats uh, and the camps and the, and the events that you go to. These are wonderful, joyful births. Never told plateaus will happen where we just feel stagnant. There may be even moments where we begin to slip and to falter. But we are to judge ourselves over the long haul. What is our trajectory? Right? Day to day, you won't be able to figure that out. Week to week, even, that might be difficult. But year to year, you should see positive change. Now, a quick word. I've had a few conversations recently with people who are very anxious to grow, to mature faster. Um, and I want to say, firstly, one that's super encouraging. Right? Let me encourage you then to not be discouraged by your apparent lack of speed. My youngest daughter, Ellie, is about to turn two. She does that in June. Uh, And so she's nearly two. Now, when she first started walking, you could see how anxious she was to try and keep up with her older brother and sister. But the problem is that her stubby little legs just couldn't move fast enough and she would often fall over crying And then calling out for daddy because apparently daddy fixes everything. Right? Someone so young who wants to run before they can walk will fall over constantly and be discouraged. So let me encourage those I've chatted with recently you're doing fine. Those in particular I've chatted with stay motivated, stay hungry to grow. And we'll do it together at your right pace. Because we value discipleship, we value seeing each other grow and encouraging each other to grow. Because we value discipleship, we'll lovingly get into each other's lives a bit more to pray, to keep each other accountable and to spur each other on in knowing Jesus better and trusting him more. because we value discipleship and we value seeing Jesus formed in each other, we will say, we'll ask two questions. How are you going and how are you really going? It's as simple as that. And you don't need to have all the answers, but you need to be willing to pray and willing to listen. Discipleship and encouraging each other is as simple as that. How are you and how are you really going? Listening and praying. High up on our values list is gospel unity. Now, it's a core value because it's an essential ingredient to the mission of God. Unity is as essential, uh, essential and necessary as a pacemaker is to a diseased heart. Without it, the church will not live. Now, I've mentioned this before when we preached through Ephesians last year. uh, I spoke at much more length about this. So let me just flag if you want to go, if you want to learn more about that, head to the church website, listen to that sermon on Ephesians 4, where we teased that passage out uh, a lot more and what unity means. But very briefly, unity is not just about doing things together nicely, unity is about encouraging each other to grow in the faith, discipleship. Until we all attain to the same maturity together. Biblical unity makes our relationships profoundly Jesus centered. Why are we in relationship together here in this room? Because we are eager and anxious to see each other grow and be more and more and more like Jesus. We value unity not because disharmony and arguments are not nice, but because it's a core value that the New Testament teaches about church life together. Paul says in Ephesians 4, chapter, 3, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we value unity and we will work hard at it, and we will be eager to maintain it. Number five. Over the past few months, uh, as we've been collecting information on what various groups and people in our church value, one of the things that each group has articulated has been a valuing of hospitality. Now, hospitality is a core value, not only because some of us are quite good at it, but also because it is a biblical means of accomplishing God's mission. Right? Now, what do we mean by hospitality? Some of us think hospitality means cooking meals. Now, it does involve that, but it's not just that. Uh, some think that hospitality means just welcoming people into our homes. And it does involve that, but again, it's not just that. Hospitality involves showing love, right? welcoming people into our homes and our church, welcoming people who come to our Bible studies or our church events. Right? Hospitality is the entryway to showing people what a community saturated with loving unity looks like. It also involves welcoming the stranger. We don't just hang out with our friends and call that being hospitable. We open our gatherings and our homes and our friendships to the outsider, to the fringe, to those who are coming for the first time. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 reminds us that welcoming the stranger can have far-reaching implications. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18? Right? The three strangers that came to them, they welcomed them in. They, they saw them and they immediately welcomed them in and gave them a meal. Gideon did the same to a stranger in Judges chapter 6. Manoah, the father of Samson, in Judges chapter 13, same thing. Now, all of them extended hospitality to strangers. And as we read their stories, we find out that those strangers ended up being special messengers from God. Now, I am not saying that if you open up your home to the person on the street, they're going to be an angel in disguise. okay? But I am saying that the stranger is to be warmly welcomed. There shouldn't be barriers for them to come in. And God will show us at the end of the day what that has meant for his kingdom. Now, Gabriel very helpfully reminded us at the start of this year, in the small letter of 3 John, that we should also show special hospitality to Christian ministers, to share our home and our resources with with God's servants and in doing that, you become an active part of their ministry. So you think about our church. We've got a number of missionaries that we support. And missionaries who are overseas, often they have to come back home. Uh, every three years or so, they come back to our home, Brisbane, Australia, uh, for something called home assignment. It's a chance to take a break. It's also a chance to catch up with friends and church partnerships. Now, this often means needing a place to stay. It often means needing a car for transport or needing sometimes needing a mobile phone and mobile phone credit in their time here. Now, obviously, most, some of us might not be capable of doing that. That's okay. But you think about it. If you have the space to be able to do that in the future, in your churches back home in Singapore or even here in Brisbane, if you stay on or are here at the moment, right, have a think about the ways in which you can um, partner with and. Open up your home to a missionary that we support. One of my friends who um, went to Bible college with me, um, he, one of his fondest memories was sharing his bedroom with an older gentleman by the name of John Chapman. Uh, John Chapman was a famous evangelist in Sydney. And being able to have long chats with Chapo um, late at night while he was a teenager... Right? Being able to welcome the Christian minister into our home, partner with them, show them hospitality. If we do that, we're, inviting, uh, we're sharing our resources with them and we're partnering with them. Point six, it is a fundamental truth that the church is always one generation away from dying and disappearing altogether. And while God is always at work raising up the next generation of leaders and always raising up the right people at the right time, it is a responsibility of the church to keep raising up leaders. Now, this is a core value for our church because if we stop looking for leaders and training them, the gospel will disappear within one or two generations. Titus was charged with this job. Paul, uh, in Titus chapter 1, reminds him that his task, when he, when he left uh, Titus in Crete, one of his first jobs was to find and appoint godly leaders in the church. Raising and equipping leaders needs and must be valued because we recognize the gospel needs to be taught and handed on to successive generations. Uh, God's, God promises to give his people in the Old Testament uh, shepherds after his own heart, Jeremiah, Chapter 3, verse 15, and in the New Testament, we see that qualified elders and overseers appointed to shepherd God's people. Each local church is to have leaders on many levels, in many capacities, for the good order and functioning of the church. Now, it's a hard job. Leadership in the church is a weighty task, because not only does your doctrine and teaching need to be sound, but also your life. You are putting yourself out there as a model for other Christians to follow. So there is always a need for men and women, faithful men and women who are growing in their faith, able to articulate the truths of the faith, able to lead others who are willing and not timid to step up. Now, just because you put up your hand doesn't automatically mean that you get selected. There is also a training process, if you like, a period of being equipped, a period of discernment as the church leaders test your doctrine and your life. But we keep looking for new leaders because the gospel baton needs to be carried and passed on to each generation. Point seven, Uh, you may find this hard to believe, but there is no verse in the Bible about international student ministry. I know, that's really hard to believe. But just because there is no clear line in the Bible about it doesn't mean we shouldn't value it. Now, over the years, uh, those who have been with us for a while have noticed a massive increase in international student numbers. This very congregation in this time slot exists because of you guys right here. Um, I know that there are actually people who have raised questions about that too. They've asked questions about why so much energy and effort is poured into this particular ministry. Perhaps part of the question comes about because there's an unawareness of what has happened and what goes on with the ministry. So on Friday afternoon, I gave Ben a call and we chatted a little bit about international student ministry. And even for me, I've been around for a while, but even for me, It was both surprising and encouraging to hear what's been happening. So let's go back a little bit to the beginning. In 2009, when Ben arrived at this church, that was nine years ago, wow. 2009, when he came here, believe it or not, there wasn't many university students. There was one or two local students, those who were born in Australia, raised in Australia and studying here, and there were about six or so international students. And so Ben arrived in Brisbane, he was renting a house in Taringa and he thought, okay, these students, they're not doing anything, they're not in any group, so let's form a group for them. They began meeting together on a Friday night, was that right, Ben? In his house, eight or nine students uh, in the church at the time. By May, three months later, that group had grown to 20. So the solution for Ben and Faith was to buy a new house. So they decided they purchased their current home, and by the end of 2009, they've grown to 30. Now, one of the biggest challenges... Each year since 2009, there has been a net gain of 10 people per year. It had to split to two nights, Friday and Saturday, and this year, uh, Friday and Saturday YF, have now just over 130 people registered for Bible study each week. Uh, very quickly, for those who don't know, Sunday YF exists for the local students because about six years ago, a whole bunch of SALT teens graduated from SALT into university. I said, Ben, can you take another 10, 12, 15 people into your group? And he said, No. <laughs> so we formed Sunday YF as well for that. Uh, but over the past nine years, there have been around 500 students who have gone through International YF. Now, one of the biggest challenges each year, obviously, is finding and equipping enough leaders to reach out to the non-Christians and the Christians in the group. And one of the familiar themes that keeps propping up year after year, and some of us might be a bit surprised by this, some of us will be shaking our, uh, nodding our heads in, in agreement, uh, and thank God for that. But one of the familiar themes that happens each year is that many of the students who join us that tend to have a rich church history and church background, but also tend to be a little bit hazy and unclear on the gospel, and hazy and unclear on how to read the Bible? And over the course of one, two, three, maybe four years, Ben and Faith take nominal Christians, teach them to read the Bible, teach them the gospel clearly, and challenge their lives. And the change year after year is phenomenal. I've had the privilege, the the joy of sitting in every so often uh, the YF farewells of people who have graduated and are about to head home. And I am stunned at the constant theme. I came to Brisbane, I thought I was a Christian, but I didn't really know the gospel. And over my time here, I've understood it. And I love it. And I'm looking forward to going home and serving the church with this great news. Now, this is massive. This is a massive challenge that Ben and Faith take on each year. Of the many leaders who were raised to serve within YF and those who grew stronger in their commitments and involvement in church, there is general feedback from what we've gathered that they do continue in their faith back home. Benefaith make semi-regular visits back to Singapore, uh, and when they go there, they they usually organise graduate gatherings, and they're usually very well attended. Sometimes we see these graduate faces uh, back in Brisbane on holidays, and I completely understand that, because Brisbane is heaven on earth. (laughs) Uh, Now, there is no formal follow-up of students once they graduate and they return back home. Uh, you see, in Scripture, there's no mandate or responsibility on churches to continue discipling Christians who move beyond your fold. Right? That is the work of the local church. So while you're a student here, this is your church family, and we love you and we want to disciple you and grow you and look after you. And we have the responsibility of that. But when you head back home, the onus then does become on you to join another church, a new home a new family who will give you the oversight and the same kind of uh, discipling and encouragement. Uh, while there is also no formal follow-up, um, we have received some feedback uh, and some news. Right? Many of the graduates uh, are generally strongly encouraged to attend good churches back home. Right? Uh, and those who do, do often keep good contact. And what we've been able to learn over the years is that the general vibe, we cannot know for certain exactly, we don't know exact numbers, but there is a general vibe that those who have gone back to good churches remain in the faith, uh, continue to serve, some of them serving in their churches, and a small handful, we praise God, have been raised up to go into full-time paid ministry themselves. Maybe even some of you here in the short to long-term same story. So why should we value international student ministry? Um, There is a short-term gain Believe it or not, uh, you'll notice our music ministry. And when you look downstairs in our Sunday school, uh, a lot of our teachers and helpers and the music ministry team are made up of students, international students. Some, however, might argue, why should we invest so much because there is no long-term gain for our church? There are so many needs and numbers in our church outside of the students that this just feels like a big drain on resources. But here is why we should value it. It is phenomenally great kingdom work. It may not benefit us, but it is benefiting other churches. Now in this way, it's actually sort of an overseas missions work. We are a sending church. We raise up and equip godly leaders for the church overseas. And while it is a high-needs ministry, we don't, and we don't get back that energy input, there have been many stories from pastors and churches who have, been, who have benefited positively from the students we have raised up and sent back to them. We should value this ministry highly because it seems that God is growing it in number at our church. You know, earlier this year, um, Ben and I were calculating that there would be a, a drop in numbers. We heard that, and that might might be true in the future, but we heard that Singapore had recently changed their scholarship laws and allowances, and there was going to be less students here this year. So Ben, for the first time, smiled at me, and I said, are you looking forward to this year? And he said, yeah, less students. (laughs) And then at Welcome Lunch, there's 154 people. And then registered, there's over 130 people. And he messages me one night, Steve, I am stressed out. (laughs) But I know he's glad. I know he's glad. We didn't ask for this. We didn't seek it out. But God in his sovereignty has brought them among us. And so we need to highly value it. Point eight, generational ministry. What do I mean by generational ministry? Um, I'm referring to how our fellowship groups and ministries are generally divided by stage of life. Right? Sunday school for children salt for teens, YF for university students, clay for young workers, SOS for younger and older families, rivers of living water for retirees. There is a group for everyone. Now, as I talk to other minister friends, I've actually noticed that this is actually a relatively unique thing to Asian churches. It seems to be a particular distinctive of Asian churches, and it's a core value for us as a church because it's one of the distinctives of our church. Now, there are obvious pros and cons to, that come with this sort of setup. One of the biggest weaknesses is that you don't tend to get much intergenerational interaction outside of church, outside of your fellowship group. Right? And in, even in church, we tend to sit within our respective groupings. I was, I, sh, I was meant to take a photo of the first service, but you can, you can see it easily. Like, imagine the scene. Teenagers over here, always. right? Some students in the middle and young families. Retirees, always up there. Right, young families up on the stage because you know they can duck into the cry room. Right? It, it, we're kind of fragmented a little bit like that. So that means ministries like Bloom and the soon-to-be resurrected Grunt. <laughs> these men's and mi- women's ministries—they're not just great; they're necessary. If you're participating and attending your fellowship group well then your attendance at bloom and grunt is not just optional it should be necessary because if we believe in generational ministry then we will be aware of the danger that we can stay within that generation and not get to know other generations and who's going to miss out The older generation are going to miss out on the encouraging faces that keep coming through our church. The younger generation, the teens are going to miss out because they they won't know older Christians. And you will miss out because you will miss the opportunity to encourage someone younger than you and to be encouraged and encourage someone older than you. One of the biggest strengths of generational ministry is obviously that most of our friends are peers. And so when you invite friends into our fellowship groups, there are going to be many people in their similar stage of life to warmly we welcome them in. So if we value generational ministry, then we are going to pour energy into serving those ministries. And if we value them, we'll be looking to make sure that they are shaped by our mission and our vision. Otherwise, they will end up as social clubs and cliques that, are very hard, that will make it very hard to welcome new people in. And if we value generational ministry then we will want to keep ourselves informed of what other different ministries are doing. So, for instance, you won't treat the children's Sunday school and the teens' ministry as a way of just dropping off your children for two hours to get some you time. Right? You'll be interested in knowing what these ministries are about, what they are doing, and partnering with them. And so if someone new comes, or a new family, or someone new comes to church, you can explain to them, yeah, you should head into this fellowship group Not just because it's good, but because it is great. And this is how it will encourage you in your stage of life. It will be a good thing for your spiritual health. And if we value generational ministry, we're going to be praying for various ministries in our church and what they are doing. Sunday YF, the local students, they're going to have a retreat in two weekends' time. Pray for that. Uh, Clay, our young workers' group, has an outreach event happening in a few weeks' time as well. Please pray for that. I was told the International is you've got a relationship seminar, not this week, but next week. Right? That's something to be praying about as well. Keep informed of what other groups are doing. Number nine and ten. I'm going to combine these two because they relate together. Personal evangelism. Right? I'm hoping that personal evangelism and overseas missions, that I shouldn't explain why these need to be core values, simply because they are just part of God's mission. right? One of the essential values of any biblical church is the valuing of reaching out to our friends and family and neighbours with the gospel of Jesus. It is an integral part of the mission of God, evangelising whoever will listen. If we value personal evangelism, and we should, then we will not only be doing it, but we will also be equipping ourselves to be better at it. We'll also use our various gifts in different ways to serve the purpose of sharing the gospel with our friends and our family. Now, here's an idea. It's just a crazy idea that I had at midnight last night. Right? I don't know how good it is. Let's, let me just put it out there and see what happens. Um, in the first service, right? remember, cross-generational ministry, get to know them. In the first service, there are a number of people in the older generation in particular who don't feel very confident in explaining and sharing the gospel. They don't feel very gifted in it. But they are very gifted in hospitality. I have enjoyed quite a fair bit of it, So why not partner with them? Get to know them, partner with them. I gave them this challenge, so hopefully they'll be knocking on your door too. Partner with them, get them to host a meal for a small gathering where you can invite one or two of your friends. And if you're keen, if, if you feel like you can share the gospel and you want to keep practicing it, why not partner with them so that, you know, I've given them... I'm going to give you permission to ask them to cook you a home-cooked meal, provide that place, that that environment, to share the gospel. It's just a crazy idea. If any good comes out of it, right? people will be converted, and if not, you'll share a great meal. Uh, Final value, and it's another must-have. We must value overseas mission. There are millions of unreached and lost people in this world. Heard a uh, message on this recently from a guy called David Platt. Uh, Platt is the president of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptists of the United States. He helpfully says that there are lost people and there are unreached people, and his great concern is for those who are unreached. Now, everyone apart from the gospel is lost. Everyone. There are lost people in our families, in our classes, in our workplaces, people we walk past in our world. We live and work and have our being among lost unsaved people now when we look at that we might be tempted to say look they're unreached they need the gospel I, I, overseas mission we don't need to emphasize that too as much because there's people who are lost here and unreached here too that's actually not a helpful way of looking at it because they are reached they have the gospel near to them they have Christian contact it's you. <laughs> and they've got churches to go to. But there are over 3,000 people groups in this world. People living in these groups who, as they work, as they relate to their family, as they walk along the street, as they in their towns, in their villages, in their cities, they have no Christians in their circles. They have no churches in their areas. They have no chance of hearing the gospel by themselves. So who will go and bring them the gospel? All right, if we value Everseas' mission, then we must, and we must, we cannot tolerate that people go to hell without ever having the chance to hear about Jesus. We cannot tolerate that. There are three options when it comes to mission. If you've listened to John Piper heaps, he'll, he repeats this all the time. Two options that show that we value it, one option that shows that we do not. The two faithful options when it comes to mission are these, go or send. So you can go yourself, you can be trained up and partner with a local church and a sending organization, or you can send people by partnering with them praying for them and supporting them financially and relationally. Go or send. The final option shows that we do not value missions, and that is simply do nothing. Be disobedient to the Great Commission. So there's no middle ground when it comes to missions and Christians. Now, if we at SLE Church value missions, it will factor into our prayers, our partnership, and our giving and offering. Currently, our church budget gives just over 10% towards missions locally and overseas. And if we value missions, and and we must, we will give generously towards that. So where to now? Now, today is not just about telling us what we need to do. Today was about outlining some core biblical values convictions principles standards some particular values of our church as well and for some of us this might have been challenging and that's good and that's right right what we value as a church needs to be informed by reformed by and shaped by the bible and if we're not intentional about that if we're not thoughtful about that then we'll always let our culture our experience or our traditions shape our values Next week, Ben is going to take us through the final sermon in this series, and he's going to take what we heard this week and last week and combine our mission and our values and work out where is it that God would lead us. For today, the question is, what do you value and why? May God bless us as we work this out. Let me pray. Father in heaven, this has been a different kind of message today. It's been a big one, a heavy one as well. Um, and we pray that your Spirit will continue to be at work within us to convict us of the mission and convict us of having biblical, biblical, uh, biblical values and biblically informed and shaped and reformed values. Father, we pray that as we look, at this, look over this list of 10 particular values for our church, we pray you'd be at work in each and every one of them. Help us to be at work in them to be uh, supportive of them, to be working out how we can best grow them in our lives. Father, may we hear your word and may it be implanted in our hearts to grow into fruitfulness for your glory and our joy and the furtherance of your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.